False religion tends to overlook what God is really looking for and just camp on the peripherals. And that's what they were doing, and he pronounces a woe on it. To have your heart right with the Lord, there's only one way to really have it right, and that is to have it reborn. So Jesus is the one who offers that, and he says, Woe to you guys who think that by tithing of your garden herbs, you're somehow right with the Lord when you have neglected the weightier portions of the law. And then he says, you blind guides, verse 24, you strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. You know, it's very easy to become one who works carefully to major in keeping religious duties instead of responding to the Lord himself. Welcome to Abide in the Word with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue our study of the Gospel of Matthew. Pastor Scott brings a message titled, Harsh Words. We invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. I actually took the time this morning to uh, just read Jeremiah 23, the whole chapter. And with Matthew 23 in my mind, and with our world today in my mind, and it was, uh, to say the least, illuminating. But I pointed out last time, look at verse 30. He says, Behold, I am against the prophets, declares the Lord, who steal my words from each other. And then he repeats it. Verse 31, Behold, I am against the prophets, declares the Lord, who use their tongue and declare, the Lord declares. And then he repeats it for the third time, verse 32. Behold, I am against those who have prophesied false dreams, declares the Lord, and related them and led my people astray by their falsehoods and reckless boasting. Yet I didn't send them or command them, nor do they furnish this people the slightest benefit. He says, I'm against that sort of thing. I'm against that. I'm against that three times. And I read the three, and he wrote the three to help us see what he's describing. They steal words from each other, just kind of borrow thoughts from man and say that it's the Lord speaking. They use their own tongues and say that it's the Lord speaking. And oftentimes they'll say they had some sort of vision or dream or revelation and attribute it to the Lord. Notice what he says, the end of verse 32. They, uh, they don't furnish my people the slightest benefit. In fact, not only is it not helpful, glance at verse 27. They intend to make my people forget my name by their dreams which they relate to one another. They, uh, they say, I had a dream, I had a dream, verse 25. How long? Is there anything in the hearts of the prophets who prophesy falsehood, even these prophets of the deception of their own heart, who intend to make my people forget my name by their dreams which they relate to one another? And they not only cause people to forget who the Lord really is, but with it, if you read the chapter, comes a lifestyle of gross immorality and anything goes and saying, peace, peace, 
when there is no peace. It's a very sobering chapter. And uh, in a day like ours, in a day when we have said in our culture, basically, that uh, our favorite virtue, the highest, you know, good, we might say, is tolerance. It's good to remember. That might be what our culture says. But God is very intolerant of sin and intolerant of those who are saying such things. And he says, I'm against that. I'm against them. I'm against them. He says it three times. And uh, he's against anyone today who sets themselves up in God's seat, so to speak, the chair of Moses, and presumes to say, thus says the Lord. Oh, we can say it. As Christians, we should say it, but we say it with our Bible open. God gave us a book of Revelation. And so I can say, thus says the Lord, but I don't say it when I come up with my own dreams or visions or anything else. And were I to, God says, I'm against that sort of thing. And it happens a lot. It happens in false religion. Now, having said that, uh, let me just, because I had a good time in Jeremiah 23, turn to the first verse. Uh, because uh, before we get back to Matthew 23, I thought this is so parallel. Notice he says, woe, verse 1 of chapter 23. Woe to the shepherds. God often calls the leaders of his people shepherds because he says we are like sheep. Okay, And he says, woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture. They not only, these false prophets, were not only not furnishing benefit to them, but they were destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel concerning the shepherds who are tending my people, you've scattered my flock and driven them away and have not attended to them. Behold, I'm about to attend to you for the evil of your deeds, declares the Lord. Uh, I'd just encourage you, take some time like I did this morning and read Jeremiah 23. But just in case you don't have the time, I'm not going to read it to you, but I am going to point out that the answer to that kind of falsehood and the reason we gather, we seek to bring clear Christ-centered Bible teaching to the marketplace. We have a thus says the Lord. God gave us his word, and his word points us to always, not the false shepherds or even godly under-shepherds like pastors who open God's word, but rather God's word points us to the good shepherd. And Jeremiah is no different. Hundreds of years before Christ, read verse 5 with me. Behold, he says, you know, I looked at these shepherds and they're not doing what I asked them to do. They're not helping my people. They're fleecing my people. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch and he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is his name by which you will be called the Lord, our righteousness. That is 
the Lord Jesus himself, the, the good shepherd, the seed of David, who is indeed our only claim to righteousness. Now turn back to Matthew 23 and we get to listen to this one who is the Lord our righteousness speak and uh, we want to hear what he has to say. And it is a particularly tough section, I'll admit. Uh, he's not just pronouncing blessings now, he's pronouncing woes. But the fifth woe, verse 23 and 24, hypocrisy in their financial matters, particularly in their tithing. Uh, listen to it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, verse 23, hypocrites, for you tithe, and the word tithe means tenth, uh, Israel was told to give a tenth uh, uh, to the Lord. You tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. This hypocrisy in their tithing uh, elicits one of the strongest or most picturesque statements our Lord gave. Verse 24, you strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. <laughs> they, they bragged about tithing even of their garden herbs. They were such legalists that they, it would be as if you, you know, reported Maybe your, your garden crop on your IRS form as charitable giving. You know, it was just, it was ridiculous the, the precision with which they boasted in their tithing and ignored, notice what Jesus says, the weightier provisions of the scripture. Listen to Micah. Uh, Micah summarizes it so well in the Old Testament. Just listen to what the Lord said to Micah, With what shall I come to the Lord and bow myself before the God on high? Shall I come to him with burnt offerings, with yearly calves, yearling calves? Does the Lord take delight in thousands of rams, in ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I present my firstborn for my rebellious acts, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Could someone give enough money? or offer enough offerings to put it into Old Testament language, or help enough charities to somehow cleanse their soul? No, and yet many people think that way and brag about their giving one way or another. He says, he has told you, O man, what is good. This is Micah 6, verse 8. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. False religion tends to overlook what God is really looking for and just camp on the peripherals. And that's what they were doing, and he pronounces a woe on it. To have your heart right with the Lord, there's only one way to really have it right, and that is to have it reborn. So Jesus is the one who offers that, and he says, Woe to you guys who think that by tithing of your garden herbs, you're somehow right with the Lord when you have neglected the weightier portions of the law. And then he says, You blind guides, verse 24. You strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. You know, it's very easy to 
become one who works carefully to major in keeping religious duties instead of responding to the Lord himself. When they took Jesus before the praetorium, I was reading it in John. I'm teaching out of John right now on Sundays. And in John 18, listen to this. Uh, you don't need to turn there, but just listen to this. When they, when they were dragging Jesus through kind of the kangaroo court of his trial, uh, after the Jews had had their turn with him, they led Jesus, therefore, from Caiaphas into the praetorium, into the Pilate's, the Roman hall. And it was early, and they themselves did not enter into the praetorium in order that they might not be defiled, but might eat the Passover. Well, you hear that and you say, well, okay, they had their religious scruples. They couldn't go into the house of a Gentile on a high feast day. It was the Passover, lest they defile themselves. But stop and think. They were taking the one who is the Passover lamb and rejecting him. And they were worrying. They were doing that even as they wouldn't go into the praetorium themselves lest they be defiled. It's massive, massive dissonance there. And Jesus is calling that sort of thing out. Then the sixth woe, back in Matthew 23. The sixth woe, verse 25, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside they are full of robbery and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and of the dish, so that the outside of it may become clean. Another earmark of false religiousness is to clean the outside and neglect the inside. And Jesus calls it well, what it is, hypocrisy, falsehood. To be concerned about what people see on the outside and not concerned about what God sees on the inside. And he calls it out. He says, how foolish is that? Imagine having a coffee mug that's full of dirt, and garbage and, you know, desperately needs cleaning, and you just clean the outside of it, and you leave the inside filthy. Don't do that, he says. They clean the outside of the cup, but inside they are full of robbery and self-indulgence. Boy, it's easy to fall into that to be more concerned about what we look like outwardly than what God sees inwardly. Notice God's order, verse 26. First clean the inside, and then the outside will become clean also. God changes us from the inside out. When you come to Christ, he puts a new life inside you, and that life will work its way out. Our outward behavior is not the way to get at our heart. Our heart is the way to get at our outward behavior. So I personally don't feel the need to lecture people about their outward behavior. Uh, I like to talk to them about their heart condition before God. And you get that right. When you're born again, then it starts to come out. 
And Jesus was regularly saying this, the stuff that goes into your mouth, that's not what defiles you. It's what comes out of your mouth. It comes from the heart. You need a new heart. So he calls them on this. And uh, by the way, uh, sometimes it's good to let the epistles just kind of add to Jesus' words, not add to them, but reinforce them. Turn over to Titus for a moment because this washing is something we need but it's not an outward washing or cleansing. It's an inward first kind of cleansing. And I just said, when he changes us inside, then it'll work its way out. And notice Paul writing to Titus uh, in chapter 3 of Titus, verse 4, when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration, the washing of the new birth, and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we might be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now, this is a trustworthy statement. And concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have been washed, those who have believed God, those who have been washed by regeneration and the renewing of the Spirit, to use the language of verse 5, so that they may be careful to engage in good deeds. When you come to Christ then he does change your outward behavior, and you will look differently. I was with a group of men earlier this week, and one of them in particular has just been transformed by Christ over the last couple years. And one of the other guys said, it has been so obvious to see the change in your life. And uh, I thought that's very encouraging because Christ has just invaded his life from the inside out and they can all see the difference. And that's the way it ought to be. So Jesus calls that out. Well, then back in Matthew 23, he says the seventh woe and he really kind of comes at the same principle from a different direction. And again, it's one of the most picturesque statements uh, Jesus gave. Verse 27, woe. To you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear to be beautiful, but inside they are full of dead man's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Religion can look pretty good outwardly. We can fool each other. You can build great temples. You can build white, gleaming monuments. And it can be as foolish as what Jesus called it, building whitewashed tombs that inside are full of death and decay and rot. And unregenerate men and women are very, very susceptible to this. Many people I meet are more concerned about what people think and what the outward uh, perception of them is than the inward reality. 
And God underlines it time after time. When Samuel went to anoint David as king, Israel had chosen their first king, Saul, and he was a man that had it all together outwardly. He was tall, dark, and handsome. <laughs> and he turned into a real crummy king. So God said, I want you to anoint another one, Samuel. And he went, and you remember, they, they couldn't believe it, that he looked over these young men, and he went down to the very youngest and the least, it might seem. And Samuel said, you know, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. First Samuel 16, verse 7. It's a, uh, it's a principle throughout Scripture. God sees the heart. Turn over to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. When Jesus' gospel is proclaimed, um, I want to underline this, that we are told by the gospel that we are really spiritually dead and we we're kind of full of dead man's bones to use jesus picturesque language there's something wrong inside us and we need to be cleansed from the inside out and it won't do to just start keeping religious observances and going to church and that no we need the change from the inside out and so Sometimes it takes a long time to convince us of that. And Paul writes three chapters in Romans getting at that point. And in the middle of it, notice what he says in verse 16 of chapter 2. On the day when according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. To me, it's one of the most piercing statements in the gospel. God sees the very thoughts, the intentions of my heart. And the gospel, when I come to the point where I realize that, that God sees and will judge every thought, word, and deed, it throws me on his grace. It causes me to flee to Christ, the one who spoke these words, and he came to seek and to save people like you and me who are lost, who need forgiveness, who need life. And so this gospel that he explains in Romans says, it says part of that gospel is that he sees and will judge the very secrets of men. Don't think that you can hide anything from God. He doesn't look on the outward, he looks on the inward, but praise the Lord, he's near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. I hope each of you have come to a personal faith in this one who is speaking, this one who pronounces woes on those who go at it the opposite way. Uh, he says, no, your heart is what I'm after. And he'll cleanse your heart through faith in him. You've been listening to Abide in the Word with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled Harsh Words, a message from our study in the Gospel of Matthew. If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to abideintheword.us. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. 
If you don't have a church home in the area, Pastor Scott would love to invite you to join us for our live online Sunday worship service at Southwest Bible Church. That's each Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 a.m. You can find us live on YouTube by searching for SW Bible Live or go to swbible.org and click on Live Stream. We also broadcast the service live on the radio on True Talk 800 a.m. It's best to check the 800 a.m. program guide for up-to-the-minute schedule adjustments. Did you know Abide in the Word is available every day on Facebook? Well, right along with our daily podcast on iTunes and Google Play, our daily messages are posted to Facebook as well. You can find them at facebook.com slash abide in the word. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. Jesus says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. For I say to you, from now on you shall not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. God's heart rejected time and time again God sent his son he crucified him and his son says oh Jerusalem Jerusalem this is the heart of the Lord notice the intensity of it join us again next time as we continue in our study of the gospel of Matthew Pastor Scott will bring a message titled your house is being left to you desolate Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you.